Welcome to The Ground Floor, a podcast for all those in ministry that are seeking to truly innovate the way that youth ministry and ministry in general is done. In this space, we explore what innovation actually is, what enables it to happen in churches, and to engage in an audio adventure with those who have been bold enough to build actual ground floor innovations in youth ministry in the broader church. We have a particular focus on Christian social enterprise or redemptive entrepreneurship. This podcast is hosted by Matt Overton, the youth pastor at Columbia Presbyterian Church in Vancouver, Washington. Matt is a writer, a speaker on Christian social enterprise, and the founder of both the Columbia Future Forge and Youth Ministry Innovators. My name is Nicholas Burton, the family ministry associate at Bethany Community Church in Seattle, Washington. So this is great. This is the first episode of the Ground Floor Youth Ministry Innovators podcast, and uh, I were Nicholas Burton and I are hosting it together. Yep. And uh, I'm we've been excited about this all week, and we're glad that uh, hopefully people are listening to it because uh, Nicholas is a former student. So um, I'm Matt Overton, and um, I was invited to do this podcast by the youth cartel. I'd written a book for them and know Mark pretty well and was invited to kind of do this as a part of a podcasting network. And really the area that Mark asked me to do is to share about youth ministry innovation, um, kind of a sense that it's needed. And so as we started to do this, I thought of my former student, Nicholas, who's doing youth ministry and worship work and thought, man, who would I want to do the podcast more with and who could help me figure out how to do it? So... So I thought, like, I thought it'd be cool if we could, if we could just maybe share with folks that are listening, maybe a little bit about, like, our kind of background together and your experience mm-hmm. of youth ministry and kind of mine, and then we could talk about like just the state of youth ministry and what caused like my particular idea to get started. So why don't yeah. we do that? Cool. So, um, so I I started out in youth ministry probably in the let's see, I guess it'd be the mid '90s. As a middle schooler, I hated it. I refused to go to my youth group's middle school youth group. I didn't know kids, and I thought it was cheesy. And uh, the idea of, as like at that point as a young man, probably uh, my own warped perception, but singing songs with other kids was like, that felt like a nightmare. So I wasn't going to do that. So I didn't go back. And then it was high school. It was actually being introduced through mission that kind of got me into youth ministry. And I did some things, and adults from my church started to be like, hey, did you ever thought about being a youth pastor by the time I was near graduation? And so I kind of, I didn't know it at the time, but I was growing up in the heyday of kind of youth ministry or just, just previous to peak, I think in a lot of ways. Um, and that was, I mean, I mean, it was like, cool. Like Christian music scene was just coming on long. I still remember hearing the first, I had no contemporary worship music as a teenager. Mm-hmm. So I was in my car in high school. The first time I heard a Christian song on like the secular radio, station and i was like what they're singing about like the flood like what in the world and it was a jars of clay song i didn't even know there was christian contemporary music because my church was traditional hmm. so i grew up you know I, we didn't do a lot of camps but we did a lot of mission trips and then i got to college and became a youth director by my sophomore year i got invited for this little bitty church north of where i went to school in california and started doing youth work and i still didn't have a sense of the ecosystem or the even the industry i guess you would call it at that point started going to conferences and things and and reading books. And at the time, everybody had the answers. That was the whole thing. Everybody knew that we were winning. Like, whatever it was that we were winning at, we were definitely winning. And and that was so weird to me because I did not grow up in evangelical churches. But, like, mm-hmm. I grew up in, like, mainline. I started out Episcopalian then and then ended up into the Presbyterian church through weird circumstances. And 
So, but, but I like my foray into like sort of moderate evangelicalism was in college with Campus Crusade for Christ, but I was mm. still doing youth ministry on the side. And I started to realize there was this whole other ecosystem to Christianity I didn't even know anything about. But once I got into it, it was like, okay, we're, we are, we are winning back the culture and the world for the gospel. And we're, we're actually, we're doing it right now. There was like the kind of the sense in the air and I didn't fully get that or identify with it, mm. but that's was the sense in the air. It's like here, read this book. There's the recipe for successful youth ministry, regardless of church size or or context or anything. It was like here's the roadmap, and pretty quickly, because I didn't work in those kind of churches, I was like that doesn't work. Like that will never work in my church, and I'm not sure that that does any good. And then there were other things I started to see where I'm like that doesn't feel like it. It it it's the gospel, or it doesn't feel like it treats kids very well. Mm-hmm. So, and I've always been kind of an independent, natural born skeptic. So I wrestled pretty early on with forms of youth ministry hmm. so why don't you share just a little bit like list like yeah. just about you where you're at now and like kind of your your story and then we can talk about kind of yeah, what's happening for sure um actually the f- first thing that came to mind as i think about my story is um we were th- just this last sunday we were having a connect lunch at church and um our lead pastor eric um, was talking about how people come, but they really get invested when they start serving. And I think it's really beautiful that when I was in sixth grade, my first day of youth group, I was crying and like <laughs> going, wanting to go home. By seventh grade, I had uh, you, Matt, and Jeff Higginson, the worship director at Columbia, right. and several people investing in my gifts and this like gift-based discipleship that made me a student leader and pursuing youth ministry, even as a seventh grader. And mm. that has led now to, um, you know, me pursuing, uh, music as a, as a, uh, degree in college, which led me to worship, uh, spaces that were, um, more extensive than I'd been in before led me to volunteer worship leading at Bethany community church, which got me involved with some worship leading at youth group right. at Bethany led to leading a small group of of uh ninth graders who I'm still with they're 11th graders now at Bethany and now being on staff full-time doing uh youth and family work um being still just like um I think uh strengthened in those gifts that um I was celebrated for when I was in in middle school and 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 yeah, that hasn't changed. And so I, I think, um, yeah, I'm just so, uh, so blessed by God's like, uh, presence through mentorship. Right. Um, and now as, as a, as a youth worker, I'm very excited to be working with other student leaders right. and being pursu- like being able to pursue, um, that same kind of discipleship model that right. I received as, um, as a bit of a mentor. So, right. So, so I think like we all come into this kind of ecosystem and history of youth ministry without even necessarily knowing anything about it. Like it was just something that I thought youth pastors had always existed and we'd go do it. And about the time I was in seminary, I think was when the first sort of like broadside, I would call it, was fired in the hole of like late 90s, early 2000s youth ministry, which was Christian Smith's work. Uh, I think it was soul searching at the time. And it was, it was like a, just a, I think a longitudinal study on, well, Here's what's actually happening with the spirituality of American teenagers. Then he moved on to like young adults and all of that caused all of those models that I just assumed as an early youth worker were normative to suddenly be blown apart. And we've been living in the wake of like that work and like a few others that came out after that 
for how at that time millennials were really interacting with the faith. We've lived in the wake of that, the shock waves of kind of that realization that, well, whatever we were producing in American youth ministry, it wasn't what we were intending to. Mm-hmm. So for me as a youth worker over 22 years at this point, um, it it was pretty obvious to me that those things were were, were, were uh, true and real, that, that this was not doing what we thought. It was a lot of window dressing. And I... Mm-hmm. And so even as a college student, like some of our worship experiences and things, I just questioned, like, if all faith is like emotions-based worship, then what is it? Like, I really wrestled with some of the theology around Campus Crusade at the time, and it didn't it didn't stack up well against the education I was getting. So, um, so what happened for me in youth ministry, and this is where I end up leading a podcast or getting invited to do one, is that I got frustrated with American youth ministry models. Um Nicholas right now and I are sitting in a garage that I built with students on my house that I bought, and that's really where all this started. So maybe we'd talk a little bit about just the story of how my frustration with youth ministry and then kind of how I ended up in a different model of youth ministry so people can kind of understand, like, why the heck is this guy who's just a youth pastor in Washington State sharing a podcast? Um, so my frustration with youth ministry really came around the fact that I, like, I could tell the models weren't working, and um, I'm like, well, I've you know, I think even I'm like a early, early millennial, late, late Gen Xer. Like my sense was I had a choice in Southern California whether I wanted to be a Christian or not. Like I was past mm-hmm. cultural peak. And so it was like, well, I, I, I committed my life to Christ and I want to do this. And so I'm not going to, I can't imagine doing a 35 to 40 year career in ministry and not doing it with passion and swinging for the fences. And so I'm like, this doesn't work. So what the heck are we going to do? And so for me, it was really, I felt backed against the wall of like saying, I can't live kind of a lie or pretend that this model works really, really well. And there's a lot of things about standardized youth ministry that I love and I do think work really well, but the sense that somebody has to be trying something and my frustration um, plus um, I think just like my own curiosity and kind of independence to try things sort of started to meet up. And what happened in my personal life was we'd hit the economic downturn in Northern California. We'd lost our home. And when I got up here to the Northwest, I had to buy a a really beat up home. That was the only thing we could get into. And I wanted to get into a home for my family. And so when I did, I had to remodel the whole thing. And and that's where I was like, well, I can, what if I started hiring kids to work? Because I'd also noticed that a lot of teenagers didn't have, they didn't have the same wherewithal the previous generations did. And so they... So I was like, well, I can teach them to work because a lot of them don't have jobs anymore. And so they don't necessarily know how to interact around adults or they feel unprepared to like transition to adulthood. I care about their spiritual life, but I also care about, I do believe it's a, their, their on-the-ground life is also spiritual. And so I was like, well, I think Christ cares about this part of their life. So, yeah. so I started thinking about doing like a shed building and garage building business. And that was like sort of the in, first innovative thinking. And, and uh, so I hired kids to help me remodel the house, and then I started reading teen labor law, and I found out I couldn't do that. <laughs> it's not legal. So construction is really hard with teenagers unless you're a school or like a state-certified apprenticeship, like yeah. electrician or plumber. So, but as I read between the lines on labor law, I was like, well, I, you can do landscaping. So I mm-hmm. came up with the idea to because the garage that we're sitting in, I built with like five kids and four adults from the church. They started showing up after I'd remodeled the house to help me build this garage because they thought it was kind of a cool idea to, to pay kids to show up. Yeah. So I was like, well, maybe we could do, it felt like an extended mission trip every Saturday. So I was mm-hmm. like, well, maybe we could do youth ministry through, through like, like 
construction work. Like I grew up, what brought me to Christ was doing mission projects. Right. Yeah. So it was like all these strands of how I'd grown up and the jobs that I had kind of came together. So I started a teenage landscaping company called Motown Teen Lawn Care. I was nervous that my church wouldn't accept it. And so, uh, so I was like, well, I'll pay for it. So I basically, they said, well, how much is it going to cost to get this off the ground? I said, well, it's my money. I'm going to risk it. And they let me build a for-profit landscaping company initially. Mm-hmm. I did it with about $10,000 of my own money. And then, um, and then more than that, because I had to buy a pickup truck eventually. Yeah. Started mowing lawns and just informally trying to teach students kind of how to solve problems and yeah. hold down a job. And then we talk about life and check in the same way I do with a kid walks through my youth center. From there, like my team of adults from my church that I'd gathered, they were aware of what was going on. They'd kind of got, they were like, well, why don't we do, you know, you're talking about life skills. Why don't we build some intentional trainings? And I was like, yeah, I think we, we should. And then it like took a leap to mentoring, like direct one-on-one mentoring. Yeah. And the funny part about that at Columbia was that we had talked a lot uh, because we were trying to shift to an intergenerational model of youth ministry with every other church in North America. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> um, like how would we do, like mentoring would be good. And we actually even had somebody from CPC, um, who was a sociology professor locally mm-hmm. who had gone out into the community to say, what does the community really need? And actually what we'd heard was Vancouver very clearly said what we really lack is an abundance of male mentors for male students. Mm-hmm. And my model didn't, didn't really care about gender. It was, but that was what the community had said. And so I had this intergenerational goal at my church. I'd heard this data from our sociologist and I was yeah. like, yeah, we should do a mentoring program. And, and this weird thing I started on the side might actually answer the question that the church has been asking, which is how would we build a mentoring program that kids would actually be interested in and wouldn't feel like kind of cheesy, corny, Christian, et cetera, or awkward, like yeah. you're assigned a spiritual mentor, congratulations. And like, I think I would not have done well with that in high school, mm-hmm. but it's like, hey, we want to help you develop your life. Mm-hmm. I think most kids and parents were, were like, yeah, yeah, that sounds pretty good. For so sure. we started building a mentor program. Yeah. And now we, we've got the landscaping company. There's a hundred plus kid weight training program. We had a drone piloting program for a while. Hmm. And then we, um, and now we're on campus at a local high school. They were doing the life skills with all of their freshmen. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, um, and so that's six, seven years down the road from where I started. Mm-hmm. And as I was doing that, I, I was like, dude, this is, this feels like a way better way to do ministry. And you might actually be able to sustain it. Yeah. Because the landscaping company, though it's under the umbrella of our nonprofit now, it still generates revenue, positive revenue every single month. Mm-hmm. And adults go out and landscape during the week. I bring students out on Saturday. So that revenue stream actually helps sustain the ministry. And so part of what I started to write about and think about was, could you sustain ministry without the need for all the donor support of the church in a time mm-hmm. when, this is pre-COVID, like in a time when at least people were wondering, will there be church donors? Like, Younger yeah. generations aren't even affiliating with like local clubs and deals. So I was trying to find an alternative model to do kingdom work that could maybe pay for itself. Mm, it's yeah. never p- fully paid for itself, but I think it's a heck of a lot more efficient on a dollar to dollar level than most nonprofits. And it's doing youth ministry in a different way. And I started to write about all of that online mm. and that over several years, nobody was talking about it. And so I would call places that were giving out grants for like, Christian businesses mission and stuff like that. And they'd be like, wow, that sounds amazing. Like social enterprise as ministry, like, but we're not talking about that yet. And we're not grant funding that yet. Mm -hmm. And so some people just couldn't even get their heads wrapped around it. Other people were like, that's fabulous, but I don't know what to do with it. And I would never go launch something like that. Mm -hmm. But I just kept writing and ticking away. And gradually that's produced a kind of a footprint that people are interested in all of a sudden. And so 
that's why I'm here, trying to help us envision, could we innovate youth ministry? And not just in terms of social enterprise, but I, I bet there's a million innovations in youth ministry that are adaptive, um, mm. that don't exist yet, that exist in somebody's heart or mind or, their, or a combination yeah. of their life experiences. Yeah, actually, I had this thought uh, this morning, too, that like if you're listening to this and you're not sure about whether where you're at in in youth ministry but you've been a part of like covid transitions or anything like that like i think everybody has gone through some bit of innovation as far as as yeah. min, as far as ministry goes in this last uh, couple years you know and um i would just say like i sometimes feel more responsive on this topic but i also know over the last year i had to think through a lot of things that i never had experience with yeah. firsthand and and um i i have ideas about uh like youth and youth ministry innovation that um aren't even specifically related to um to to what we're talking about right now and and that's there's it's a really you know i think there is uh it's a very expansive topic that i'm excited that we're talking about in this context and and i think covid accelerated the desire for that so i mean that data like i mentioned that really let us know this doesn't it's not doing what we thought it's been around for a long time and again we've been sitting in the wake of it and people have been talking you can go find loads of youth ministry books on like youth ministry needs to change what's and and they're great books until you get to the part where it's like okay what's the actual thing that you launched that's radically different and there's just Mm -hmm. this scarcity uh the mid Oh, 2010, like there were several books that came out about like, you know, next generation youth ministry. And I went off and read them and I was like, there's nothing here. Yeah. It is a critique of what's come before, but there's nothing actually here. So part of the reason I want an innovation podcast and we'll, we'll probably do this in another episode is define what innovation actually is because yeah. it's a buzzword mm-hmm. and I think it's misapplied. I think there's a bunch of misapplied terms um, within that. And I think um, to me, innovation, the most simplest level is a creative idea that actually gets to ground. Yeah. And, that, and, and and that you can allow it to continue on. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think when I go on to most youth ministry forums, even in COVID, I'm stoked that the conversation about innovation has gone up. Mm-hmm. But I'm absolutely frustrated that often what I would hear when I'd get on some like local phone calls and other things with other youth workers during COVID was like, the main concern was how are we going to keep an online presence post-COVID? Mm-hmm. And I don't have anything against like electronic online presence, but it was more like, well, but eventually we will be back in person and it may be a year, it may be three years, but if we're not thinking about how to really radically change some of the things that we're doing and the way we're doing youth ministry, the spaces we do Mm -hmm. it in and the the way we carry it out, um, then that's not innovation, that's technical change. And that's, you know, there's loads of stuff written on technical versus adaptive change. Yeah. And I think um, lots of people, like, go on to um, any youth ministry Twitter feed, and all you'll see is technical gimmicks. Hmm. Um, there's a lot of online youth ministry companies, and mostly they sell product. Um, and they're selling product that doesn't radically do anything different. Um, it might be a new game or a new idea for a retreat or things like that. And all of that makes, like, a, a baseline assumption that the model's kind of healthy. Yeah. So we, we, we are overdue for innovation. So I'm, I'm hopeful, I'm tentatively hopeful that COVID plus just the deconstruction of so many things that we've done actually will allow this to go forward. I know Fuller Seminary just came out with a book on innovation. Like they mm-hmm. have a particular model they're running, things like that. And there is kind of a network starting to emerge, not just in youth ministry, but in the church in general about how to do ministry yeah. innovatively and this social enterprise conversation which is the particular bent that i have right businesses that make an impact 
I think is it, it the flywheel is just starting to turn on that, but I believe that will be a massive movement in the church. Hmm. Um, that's that's a little bit on it's not on the down low, but it's small right now. Um, yeah. Anyway, well, uh, it's been massive in in my experience. Like you know, yeah, it's guided. Yeah, my whole ministry experience, my my vocation. Yep, where I'm at now. So. Yeah, so um, yeah, so like I think um, as I think about kind of what my what my hope is is part partly to think about reflectively like on youth ministry, not just reflect on youth ministry, but reflect on it theologically. Mm-hmm. Um, as we do kind of a, these podcasts um, and invite guests on who are actually practitioners of mm-hmm. of. Um, uh, like innovative youth ministries, particularly yeah. with the social enterprise bent, but then also talk about innovation itself. Like what, what are the conditions out of which it arises? Like mm-hmm. um, I, I believe that almost anybody can engage in innovation, but certain people have to learn skills and other people because of their, not because um, it doesn't come down to your DNA. It comes down to my opinion is a little bit of your personality and kind of your life skills. So like, um, like I don't think I don't think uh, it's a you know it's a DNA issue whether you can innovate, but I do think there are practices you can cultivate in your life that kind of help you think innovatively. Some of so some of it does come to down to how you're wired based on how what you've experienced in life, and mm-hmm. some of it also comes down to that. I think we would want to talk about is um, like the ecosystem you live in. So yeah, a lot of times when I've done panels with different groups around the U.S. and other places, like it's like well. Can we, how do we launch an idea or what do we do to, to be innovative at our church? I'm like, well, let's talk about the health of your church first. Yeah. Do you trust your head of staff? Like, do they trust mm-hmm. you? Are you doing a good enough job at job A that yeah. anyone's going to allow you to do that? And, and, and I didn't launch my idea until I was several years in. Mm-hmm. So, you know, one of my big mantras when you think about innovation is just, um, you know, have you, have you built sufficient levels of trust with people because you've done the, done the basic job well? that anyone would want to follow you if you're going to lead them to someplace new. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I waited several years of just patient work, loving our congregation, loving our students, learning about our community, our surrounding community before it was ever, like I could even begin to dream like, okay, God, what is it that you might be calling me to do that's different um, within this context? So there's kind of a self-awareness and awareness of your context component that I think has to precede all innovation. It's not just about launching ideas, yeah. but it is time for new ideas. day we 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 hope that god will shield us from suffering Mm -hmm. and i think what what i've come to understand is like i don't know how we get that out of the gospel Mm -hmm. um the idea that god himself comes into the world and lives the most fabulous life perfect life complete life ever and gets crucified for it Mm -hmm. so somehow we got the idea and i think it's because we're americans and probably Mm -hmm. at some of the greco-roman influences in our culture like we got the idea that the gospel is really about shielding me from suffering and difficulty Mm -hmm. and i've been through this a hundred times with different students who come to this juncture where they have to decide is that is that the faith i'm going to pursue because if i am it it, it will abandon me life is too hard that faith is flimsy and then they have to decide do i want adult faith which actually invites us to say no i promise you nothing Mm -hmm. What I invite you into is a full and meaningful life, and a full and meaningful life 
uh, Christ indicates will involve some suffering for your neighbor. Yeah. And I'm actually inviting you to the risky proposition of entering into the suffering of your neighbor's life. Now, that risk mm-hmm. part is, I think, what innovation is all about. Yeah. Part of what we're trying to do is recover the capacity for risk for the sake of Christ. Is Christ, do we believe Christ is worthy of risky new innovation models? Would we be willing to try and fail? Mm. Would, we, would it be worth every ounce of our blood, sweat, and tears, the last dime in our pocket? Jesus doesn't tell the disciples that's what he's inviting him into at first. He just says, come and follow me. Yeah. He even slow pitches it to them. But ultimately, that's what we're invited into. Mm. And I think that's a massive recalibration of the gospel. And so innovation, at its core, is about an objective that's worthwhile, in this case, kingdom work, and seeing people come alive. And then it's a question— are you willing to risk to get that to ground in a pivotal way? And I think it's time for youth ministry to do some of those things. But it is going to take youth workers willing to get out of their lane, to think differently about what, what the core of the story is really all about, and then how would we invite kids into that in kind of new ways. Yeah. So hopefully we can kind of continue and have fun and talk about this as we go along with other guests too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Super excited about it. Dude, this is awesome, Nicholas. Thanks. Yeah. Thank you for joining us. The Ground Floor is made possible through the Youth Cartel's Youth Ministry Podcast Network and Youth Ministry Innovators. We're excited that you are joining us on the ground floor of church innovation and Christian social enterprise.